Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares. We come to the last chapter in the life of King Saul, and he shows us the way that we shouldn't die. He gives us an example of how not to die. And if we can turn that around and learn from Saul's bad example how to finish well, perhaps we can leave here being prepared when God calls us home. As counterintuitive as it may seem, sometimes the best way to learn the right way to do something is by seeing it done the wrong way first. This is certainly true in the life of King Saul. The book of 1 Samuel contains a litany of what not to do for everything from obedience to leadership. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares is tackling an extremely sensitive topic based on the death of Saul in 1 Samuel 31. He's titled this message, Pleasing God in Your Final Chapter. If you have a Bible, I'd like you to turn to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. The book of Philippians is an interesting book. If you've ever studied it, you know the context. If you haven't studied it, let me get you up to speed. Paul is sitting in a prison in Rome. He's there on trumped-up charges. He's writing this with a death sentence literally hanging over his head. He could at any time be called by the Roman soldiers to come out of his cell and go to his death. And against that real sobering backdrop, Paul writes these words in verse number 20. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 20, he says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Paul said, it may be in my life real soon. And if it is, I want to have everything in my life in place so that when I face death, I do it in a way that makes God happy. I do it in a way that exalts Christ. I need you to think about how you might finish well, how you might die well, how you might go out of this world in a way that exalts Christ and pleases God. You may never thought about it, and it may be a morbid thought for you to think about hearing a sermon on how to die, but it's important. You can maybe accuse it of being a morbid topic, but you certainly can't accuse it of being an irrelevant topic, because though we don't know when it'll happen, all of us are going to be facing death from different sets of circumstances. Some of us will be in hospital beds. Some of us will be in hospice care. Some of us will be in our homes. Some of us will be in a traffic accident. Some of us will be after a serious injury. Some of us will be really old. Some of us will be in the prime of our life. But all of us are going to face it. If Christ doesn't return first, we're going to die. hundred years from now, there won't be anybody left in this room on earth. We're all going to have to pass through the threshold of death. How do we do it in a way that pleases God? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 31, which is the last chapter in the book of 1 Samuel, as we conclude our study in this book, we come to the last chapter in the life of King Saul, and he shows us the way that we shouldn't die. He gives us an example of how not to die. And if we can turn that around and learn from Saul's bad example how to finish well, perhaps we can leave here being prepared when God calls us home to leave this world in a Christ-honoring way. Take a look at the passage, if you would, beginning in verse number 1. This is 1 Samuel chapter 31. 
You might remember Samuel appearing and telling Saul that he was going to go into this battle with the Philistines and die. So he wasn't going in with great expectations. He knew this wasn't going to be a good day for him. But notice how it unfolds. In verse number one, it says, the Philistines fought against Israel and the Israelites fled before them. We had already learned this was a huge army that the Philistines had amassed against Israel. And so Israelites turned. They said, we can't do it. They retreated and they split. And the Bible says, bottom of verse one, that many fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Think about that. There were people in this army in hand-to-hand combat that were laying on the battlefield dead. It was a gross and gruesome, dreadful picture of the defeat of God's people and God's servants and God's army. And of course, as in any battle, they focused on the leader. And the text says in verse number two, the Philistines pressed hard against Saul. They wanted to kill Saul and his sons. Of course, we want to take out not only the king, but we want to take out the heirs to the throne. And the text says in verse number two that they killed Saul's sons, Jonathan, Abinadab, and Malchishua. Here were the three royal children laying dead on Mount Gilboa. This is bad. Verse 3, the fighting grew fierce against Saul. And when the archers overtook him, they wounded him critically. So here he is. He's got an arrow in him. He's bleeding to death. His three sons, he's just watched them die. The armies are retreating. His soldiers are laying dead all around Mount Gilboa. Saul, completely frustrated at the end of his rope, in verse number four, says to his armor bearer, note it carefully, draw your sword and run me through. Kill me. Put me out of my misery. Or these uncircumcised fellows will come and run me through and abuse me. Because you know what they do when they capture the kings of these armies, you know. This is not going to be a pretty sight. If they take me alive, they're going to torture me. They're going to kill me. There'll be lots of pain involved. But the armor bearer, bottom of verse number four, he was terrified. He wouldn't do it. No, no, king, I, I, can't. I can't. I can't kill you. So Saul, notice it, took his own sword. One of the darkest chapters in all of what we've read in 1 Samuel so far, the anointed chosen king of Israel, the leader of God's people, leans over his sword, pushes it against the rock or some crevice in the ground, and he kills himself. He took his sword and he fell on him. We may be able to commiserate and say, you know, I, I understand, Saul. You had nothing to face but humiliation. The stripping of your dignity. You had nothing to face but pain. You're critically wounded. You know you're bleeding to death. So it's understandable that you would turn to somebody who's a friend and say, just put me out of my misery. I'm going to die anyway. I'm terminal. It's over. And if I just live longer, it's just going to mean for me a lot more pain and a lot more hurt and a lot more physical struggle. I, I can't go on. This is a merciful thing it seems it is something that i guess is better than the options the options wouldn't seem to be very pleasant dying now by the sword of the armor bearer or my own sword yeah, you can understand does this sound as current as the front page of the papers right if i'm gonna hurt and i'm dying anyway and it's painful and i have nothing to look forward to but more physical pain makes sense. I mean, I can understand it. Oh, it may be wrong in some Bible verse somewhere, but you, you got you to you gotta say he, he, he had really no options. It's as current as the headlines in the paper, and it will only get worse. 
and I don't mean to be a downer, and I'm not much for painting these kinds of pictures, but you got to know it's getting worse. When Oregon can pass legislation where people say, you, you give me the right to kill myself or have a doctor kill me whenever I want to, you know that we've taken something critical out of the equation. If there's any doubts about that, wind the clock back 100 years and talk to church congregations in that day about how unthinkable it would be at the ease at which we can end life at the other end of the spectrum. Do you think Christians 100 years ago could have imagined what is going on in family planning, quote-unquote, clinics today? You take God out of the equation, what do you have? You have people that don't understand life in its most basic essence. They don't get it. They don't make the connection between God and, and the giver of life, the giver of life who has retained the right to give it and has retained the right to take it. As unthinkable as it was a hundred years ago about taking unborn children's life, it will be, I think, a hundred years from now, something so commonplace to check our grandparents into a place where we make a decision as snap as they make them today about unborn children to say, should we let them live or should we, or should we take their lives? Paul said it'll go from bad to worse in this world. It's not going to get better. It's going to get worse because the more you take God out of the equation, the more you don't understand the basic essence of life. Life is not something that we have and can lay down and take and pick up whatever we want at our convenience or because we fear pain and suffering and some kind of physical torture. According to the Bible, the connection between God and life is so succinct and so inseparable that I don't have the right to lay down, take up, kill, or even take my own life because the options seem too painful or inconvenient or difficult. I don't mean to minimize painful, the painful process of dying. I, of course, have never died and neither have you, but I have sat by many bedsides of people who have breathed their last after lots of months of oncology work and radiation and chemotherapy. I know what that's like. I've had close friends die that way. Perhaps you've had a family member die that way. Perhaps you're sympathetic to the whole Kevorkian philosophy that it's merciful for us to, in a dignified way, take someone's life so that they won't have to suffer anymore. We may sympathize with that, but we can't ever endorse it. We may understand it, but we can't ever excuse it. Because the Bible's really clear. Our goal is to finish out our days, and God determines the days. Psalm 39 says, He has determined our days and written them in a book before there was yet one of them. God wants us to finish the course. Two, to put it in the words of the Apostle Paul, finish the race. You can't finish the race if when we face death and the pain and struggle of death and say, I'll determine when this ends. That's not cruel. And I'm not trying to say God is in favor of pain and suffering. You know he's not. Proverbs 31 is clear. Give strong drink to him who is perishing. God, thankfully, is in favor of morphine. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and when I'm on my deathbed, you better make sure they're giving me some. That's a good thing. Take the edge off the pain, but I can't face it without a tremendous amount of courage and say, if my life is not over yet, if I'm still breathing, if my heart is still beating, and if I'm still existing in this world and God has given me another day of life, then I can't choose to take it because I'm afraid of the pain. You see, the real issue is fear of pain. 
And the Bible says that if we're going to die well, we need to be men of courage. Wasn't that the word the Apostle Paul said? He says that I would have sufficient courage that I might exalt Christ, whether by life or by death. He needed courage. And the first thing on your outline, if you're taking notes, the thing that Saul lacked is the thing that we need. You and I, if we're going to die in a way that pleases Christ, we need to die with courage. I put it this way, be courageous. In the face of death, you and I need to be courageous. And in light of our theology, the first fundamental thing we need to focus on should be pretty much a no-brainer because our theology and our creeds assert the fact that we believe that when we're absent from the body, we're present with God. And the very thing, according to Hebrews 2, Jesus came to accomplish at the first coming of Christ was to take away from our lives the fear of death. And you may say with 1 Corinthians 15, I believe the sting of death is gone and I'm really not afraid of death. And if you're there, you've made some progress. That's good. But though most of us can sit back, cross our arms and say, well, you know, we're not afraid of death, but, you know, I'm not really anticipating the process of dying. We need to say the courage that it's going to take to cross the unknown threshold of this life into the next needs to be the kind of courage that I face the process of dying with. I need to say if I lay in a hospital bed or in some ICU unit at Mission Hospital or Saddleback, I need to be the kind of person that says I'm going to face not only death itself, but the process of dying with the same courage that the Apostle Paul said, if they hang me, torture me, stretch me out on a rack, I want to have sufficient courage that I may exalt Christ, whether by life or by death. It takes a lot of courage to live life. It takes a lot of courage to die well. If we're going to live well with courage, we need courage to die well. To finish well is to say, even if my pain is prolonged, even if I surrender my life to the enemy, and he does something to me, and there's pain involved in my departure, man, with God, I can do it. And some of us in our lives, as we look for where to derive that strength, we've already seen it at work in some physical ailment in our past. Some of you have been through surgeries, you've been through open heart surgery, you've been through procedures and operations, you've been through injuries and accidents. How did you make it through that intense pain? How did you sit there with the beeping machines in the hospital and survive that incredible ordeal? How did you do it? Maybe like the Apostle Paul when he talked about his thorn in the flesh and he's talking about a physical ailment there. After three times and God said, no, 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 I want you there and I got you there for a reason. God finally responds with these words, my grace is what? Sufficient. You can make it with me. With me, you can get through this. God said, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Haven't I told you, don't be terrified, don't be dismayed, for I am with you wherever you go. What's the point? If God is there, you don't have to fret it. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be terrified. God promises to walk us through our pain. And if you, in some smaller way, have experienced God march you through surgery, broken bones, some kind of operation or procedure, and you've seen God provide the grace, the presence of His Spirit in your life, and take you through it, then you need to recognize no matter how bad your departure is, no matter what God's plan for your exit in this world is, God can take you through it. And if you cling to His presence... And you say to him in that hospital room, God, please sit, please stay. You know what? You can make it. God doesn't expect you to be a tough guy who just, you know, grits his teeth and bears the pain without him. He says in Isaiah 40, what? I'll hold your hand. Take hold of my right hand. I'll walk you through the fires. I'll walk you through the flames. 
but you got to practice my presence. You got to know I'm there. You got to reach out to me. The Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of Christ, neither height nor depth, angel, principality, neither life nor death. Think about that. You and I need to grasp firmly to the presence of God so that we might have the courage to face death and face whatever brings us to the threshold of death. Saul died without courage. I'm convinced of that. We may sympathize with what he did, but we can't excuse what he did because he was, in my study of the character of Saul throughout this book, I'm convinced he was, at the core, a coward. He was a coward. He was selfish. He was in it for himself. If it was convenient, he'd do it. And when it came to his last day, it was convenient to end his pain by taking his own life. Coward. I'm trying to be despairing toward the leader of Israel. I'm just saying God would want him to sit down and recognize that whatever comes his way, with God he can handle. I can do all things, Paul said through Christ who strengthens me. That's got to be our theology when we face our last day, when we go through that situation. Verse number 5 shows us in 1 Samuel 30, 31 rather. Verse number 5 of 1 Samuel 31 shows us a second suicide. This one I think is for different reasons. If you note the context... And if you know anything about what armor bearers do, you'll know this just wasn't some golf caddy who carried around, you know, swords for the king. If you know about ancient armies, the armor bearer was the chief strategist. He was the chief warrior. He was the guy at the banquets with the uniform with all the medals on his chest. This guy was a proven, brave warrior. He was someone who knew the implications of the king lying dead on Mount Gilboa. He knew the implications when all the heirs to the throne, or at least all the fighting heirs to the throne, all the mature heirs to the throne were laying dead on Mount Gilboa. King is dead. The king's sons are dead. We lost the battle. They'll gloat about it. It'll be terrible. We'll be the laughing stock of angels. They'll come in and attack us on the southern borders now. Mm, I got nothing to live for. It ain't worth it. I could go on living, but I don't want to. And so the text says in verse number five, when the armor bearer saw these things, he recognized Saul was dead. Look at it, bottom of verse five. He too fell on his sword and died with him. If Saul died without courage, and we need courage to finish well, and the armor bearer died without hope, and you need to note it well, if we're ever going to please God with the way we finish this life, we should never ever lose hope. Don't ever lose hope. If God has kept you alive for one more day, even if it's in the hospital, we say there is hope. And if you want to think of the big picture, there's hope beyond the grave. Obviously, our theology tells us that, and we need to come to grips with that fact that when I cross that threshold as a follower of Christ, I enter the very presence of God. No condemnation, no purgatory, no judgment, none of that. I'll come into the presence of God. All my works will be evaluated, but I'm not going to hell and I'm not going to suffer the wrath of God. I'll be embraced in the kingdom. So there's hope even the day after I die. There's great hope and anticipation, but even through the process, if I'm alive for one more day, you know what? There's a reason God's got me here. And Paul said it. He says, if I die, I want to have sufficient courage to die well. He says, if I live on, it'll mean fruitful labor for me. 
I'll have some fruitful job here among you. I'll do something positive. If God keeps me alive for one more day, even if it's in prison, he goes on in that book to talk about the fact that I've even been, been able to share with all these Roman guards. Isn't that fun? I mean, they're attached to me. Here I am in the, in the dungeon, and I get to share Christ. They're, you know, they're a captive audience. He starts winning people to Christ in prison. When I came to this church 11 years ago, I was hired by a guy named Denver Clark, who was the senior pastor of the church. I came on as the associate pastor. It was about a month after I got here. He calls me into his office. He'd just gotten back from the doctor, gave him results on some tests, and he says, Mike, I hate to tell you this, but the doctors gave me 12 months to live. Terminal bone cancer, and I'm not going to make it. When he lasted more than 12 months, he lasted 18 months from that meeting. But I remember being by his bedside through all these tests and all these treatments in his home, ultimately in the oncology ward at Saddleback Hospital, sitting there day after day after day as he lost more and more of his consciousness, as he was unable to speak, and all these things took place. And if you've been through this with someone you love, you know what this is like. But every day that he lived and every day that he could communicate with me, there was a sense in his heart that he was there for a reason. And you can probably still go up and ask the nurses about this guy. Because every day he thought, I'm here for a reason. God has left me on earth for a reason. And even in the worst of circumstances, he said, you know what? I got hope. Not only do I have hope that when I finally die, I'm going to meet Christ. And that's what I've been living for. But you know, every day I'm here in this hospital, I got a job to do. And even if it was just pulling me close to his, his mouth so he could tell me in my ear, keep that church out of trouble, you know? Give me these little insights on how to deal with this church. He knew he had a job. Some people give up hope so quickly. That's gone. This is gone. And I know some of it I can't even imagine the personal pain involved. And I recognize it. And I can understand that you're tempted to be hopeless when a spouse of 35 years or 45 years or 55 years passes away and you think like the armor bearer, it's not worth living anymore. But if God has got you on earth and you're still breathing, there is hope. There is hope for you to be productive, to do something significant for the body of Christ. And if ultimately God leads you through that threshold, what, what ultimate hope we have after we pass through it. We're learning how to finish well today with Pastor Mike Fabares. You're listening to Focal Point, and we'll pick up this sensitive subject again tomorrow. You can always listen again online anytime at focalpointradio.org. Well, whether you're a regular listener or today's your first time joining us, I'm sure you've noticed that Pastor Mike doesn't avoid the difficult, painful sections of Scripture. He teaches it all, verse by verse, helping us understand why it's important and how to apply it. Because as nice as it is to focus on positive messages, they won't equip us to deal with the tough stuff like we're hearing about today. Helping people develop a strong grip on the true gospel message is why we're wholly committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word. Now, if you've been strengthened through this program, will you partner with us today so we can continue reaching folks with these daily Bible teaching messages? Donate online at focalpointradio.org or call us at 888-320-5885. When you give a gift of any amount today, we'll send you a copy of Nate Pickowitz's book called How to Eat Your Bible as a Token of Our Gratitude. If you find you aren't getting a lot out of your personal Bible study time, 
or you just aren't in the habit of reading God's Word much these days, then this book will be a great encouragement. And that's exactly why Pastor Mike and the Focal Point team selected this practical book as this month's resource. Go online to focalpointradio.org. If you prefer sending your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And you know, a great way to develop a deep love for God's Word is by tuning into this program here each day as we study the Scriptures. If you ever miss a program, you can download the free Focal Point mobile app to listen anytime, anywhere. Or you can always listen on our website, focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again on Wednesday as we continue the message called Pleasing God in Your Final Chapter, right here on Focal Point. Hi, Pastor Mike here. God's Word promises it'll never return void. So I wonder, how is God's Word moving in your heart right now? Drop us a line. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be praying for you here. Just go to focalpointradio.org and then be sure to join us again tomorrow right here as we continue to explore the depths of Scripture. We'll see you then. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.